Well, this morning as we continue in Acts, uh, I, I am talking into a, a interesting dynamic that happens here now in the story of the early church. Uh, if you're not familiar with what Acts is, Acts is a narrative. It's a history. It's a storytelling of the early church. And one of the things that we value about looking at this, what can we learn? What can we learn from those who have walked before us, whether it's what they did really well or whether it's the challenges of bad decisions or the things that they faced. And so today, as we look at uh, the passage, we're in Acts 6, and you have sermon notes. Uh, you can take those out. We'll be doing some fill-in-the-blank. And there are some very specific things that we're going to be looking at today. It's an interesting, interesting passage. It's, it's, uh, it's, it wrestles with the idea of everyday life. And often we, we look for these, these deep spiritual platitudes that are in Scripture. And yet sometimes what Scripture reveals to us is the very simplicity of everyday life and the challenges of everyday life. Sometimes we find ourselves complaining that, God, you know, you use all these these and thous and those and whose and what's it's, you know, and, and heffalumps and woozles and, you know, the whole thing in here, Right? And yet, the challenge is, why don't you just speak to me in practical ways? You get your practical today. But hopefully you get your, your these and thous as well, because uh, there is some beautiful order and design to what God does here. And how this fits within your own lives, and then within the structure of the church. So this morning, I, I was thinking, how can we relate this the idea is now serving number seven. Have you ever gone and, and had to stand in line um, somewhere, right? And uh, my wife and I, we had this great getaway this past week and, and just a tremendous time. And um, I remember we went into the city uh, 25 years ago. We ended our honeymoon in the city at the Clift Hotel. And so uh, we, we went back, found the same room, and, uh, and then we went uh, through a gracious gift, we went uh, just two blocks down into Union Square and ate at Cheesecake Factory. Can I advise you, don't eat at the Cheesecake Factory on Mother's Day. <laughs> they don't take a reservation. And so, um, you know, I, I got up to there, and, and it's, you know, now serving number 385, right? And uh, uh, I, I get up there, and I say, you know, um, uh, it's my uh, 25th wedding anniversary, and uh, he says, yeah, you're still going to be an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I thought for sure that might work. So um, uh, we got our little buzzer, right? We got our little thing, and, and we, you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And, uh, and then we got sat outside on the balcony underneath a heater, and we had this great dinner. And we had a great server, and, and my, my wife even noticed that she served us with a smile, and that's not always the case, is it? Right? And especially if it's super crowded. How many of you have ever been a server somewhere? And, and you're on one of those shifts. And this, this gal just came with just humility and with great service and with a smile and a sweetness. And it just blessed us. She was really good at what she was doing. And it really blessed our evening. So today we're really talking about this. We're talking about serving tables. And, and that's where this passage goes, but it goes deeper. So 
Let's look into it. My kids, two of my kids, Dylan and Jericho, have worked at a local upscale eatery in Walnut Creek. And my wife and I have been blessed to hear about all the challenges my daughter has faced over this past week. And, and just how the structure, and, and when the structure isn't being followed correctly, things fall apart. And her whole life is challenged incredibly. And, uh, you know, we get that, right? There's a whole thing to learn there. And, and yet, what she's learning is the concept of teamwork and how valuable it is. You see, as we sat and we had our dinner, in order for me to have that wonderful steak that I, or, or chicken Romano, that's my go-to, right? In order to get that chicken Romano, you know, it took the three people that were the hosts to get us seated. It took another person to bring us water and bread. It takes another person to make sure that our salads are prepared well. It takes another person to actually cook our food. It takes the server, plus it takes a management team, plus it takes the accountant. Can I get an amen from Ruth? <laughs> it takes the accountant to make sure that every, on and on it goes, and I can keep going. It takes the banking services that's going to let me allow to, to swipe my card. It takes the people that are going to clean up afterwards, the busboys. It takes an army to make sure I get my chicken Romano and served on time. We don't think about those things, do we? And yet the early church found themselves in a conundrum. How did they handle it? What did they do? Well, let's look at it. Go with me to verse 1. I'm going to put it up on the screens, but turn in your scriptures, uh, if you will, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a compliant... I just wanted to see if it took grammar teachers to get this message out correctly. Yes. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Hmm. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa, no, and Timon, and Parmaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow. So they've got a problem. And what is their problem? The church is growing so fast that there are individuals that are not being taken care of well. The widows, specifically the Hellenistic widows, what does that mean? Well, you had your, your Hebrews, you had your Jews that were there in Jerusalem, Palestinian Jews, right? Homeland Jews. But remember that the, the, the word of God and, and uh, the law and the worship, as Jews would extend out into the Mediterranean region, it would go with them. 
And so you would have a contingency that would come into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, uh, Pentecost, uh, Purim, uh, on and on and it goes, right, with the, with the festivals. And so what happened on the day of Pentecost is that you had Jews from all over the world or that region, right, that had come and had experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changed their life and they stayed. Problem there's no vacancy. There's no room in the inn. And so as the church in its infancy, the first challenge it faces is how do we take care of all these people that traveled in? Well, let's sell our property. Let's sell our stuff. Let's give. Let's provide. And they formed a community. And they all together had everything in common, right? We've heard that. Well, now we hit the next bump. And that is that there's a little bit of differentiation. That the leadership was specifically from... Palestine. There wasn't leadership that was representing those that had come from afar. And so maybe a little bit of the idea of, of ethnicity, socioeconomic, there was a little tension there. And somehow these Hellenistic, that basically is the word for Greek, right? That was the rest of the world, the Greeks, the Gentiles. The Hellenistic widows were not being taken care of well. And so they brought the complaint to the apostles. And so the apostles said, man, how did we miss this? Okay, Bartholomew, nobody remembers you. You're not busy. You're not really preaching much. We're going to ask you. You're going to handle this. It's not what happened. And I heard one groan go up when it came out in the passage, which was, we are going to stay committed to that which we have been called, which is preaching the word and prayer. Hallelujah. <laughs> Still alive. So what do we do with this? There's a, there's a little tension there, because I remember uh, uh, my Jesus turning to Peter and saying, unless you're willing to wash my feet, you have no part of my work. So in our society, when we hear hey, um, we need to provide for everybody. We need people that are going to really serve tables here. That's the Greek word here. Now you have your leadership saying, uh, this is way above, or way below us, actually. This is below us. We're going to ask other people to do this. Doesn't it sound a little bit like that? There's the tension in the scripture. So that's one of the things we're going to answer today. So let's get into it. I'm going to give you three things uh, in our first point. The challenge with church growth. That's really what we're talking about is that the early church was experiencing incredible church growth. Many of us might be at this church because we didn't like the big church experience. We like small church experience. And sometimes what goes with that is this idea that we want to keep our church small because we like that experience. I understand that. The one challenge is this. When we get a little bit critical of, of how big church gets run, the challenge I always throw out to individuals is, well, what do you do when the Lord's blessing and people are coming to the Lord and people are coming into the church? Do you just send them away? What are you supposed to do with them? What do you do with that? As we grow as a church, there's no way we can function, that we can do what we need to do. Our prayer room was stuffed this morning, so much so that my phobia started arising quickly 
And we, we shortened our prayer and we got out of there quick because there wasn't enough oxygen for all those people and me in the same tight spot. But what a blessing because there truly is a team that's here. And in essence, what the, what, what the apostles are saying is this. There's a challenge with church growth. A complaint is being brought. And we know church people are really good with bringing complaints, right? Can I get an amen? Yes. Everybody's good at bringing complaints. See, we have this, this pristine concept of the church that everything is supposed to be great and, and tooth fairies and... and Pots of gold and, and Bibles and choirs and unicorns, right? You know, only one thing should be in there. That's the Bibles. But anytime you pull people together, there's going to be complaints. And so the apostles had a complaint. How did they handle it? And this complaint came about because of church growth. Well, let me give you some of what we're going to look at today. The challenge with church growth falls into these three categories. This morning, what we're going to send to you is challenges prompt choices. All right? Challenges prompt choices. The, the, the worst kind of leadership is that which never makes a decision. Now, sometimes good leadership holds off on a decision. but Or sometimes good leadership decides not to act on something. That's still a decision. Bad leadership is that which never makes a decision because they're polarized or they're paralyzed for certain reasons. But the challenge with church growth is that these challenges prompt choices. And so in looking at that this morning, the idea of what you see happen here from the early church is that they saw the need for leadership training. They saw the need to multiply out who they were. And so they say, go appoint seven men. Just seven regular Joes, right? No offense, Joe. Just seven regular Joes. No, they said men of good reputation, of, of, of spiritual acumen. And we'll get into that in a moment, but they understood that leadership training is critical for progress. So as we grow as a church, as we face more growth, and as we see ourselves moving forward, we are going to continue to focus in multiplying out church leaders in saying that this is something that it's not going to be handled by one, two, three, or four people. That we are committed to seeing God work through His people. The second thing is that church growth or the challenge of church growth challenges Pro, uh, these challenges prompt charts. Charts? What are you talking about? You type A people know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? And you're saying, well, what's a type A person? I've never had that defined. Um, and so I'm just going to assume it stands for administration. Administration. On occasion, people who love administration, they're type A people. I'm going to give another word. It's, it's interesting because uh, more and more I'm getting accused of using words that nobody should have to use, let alone ever understand. And so something that came into my Reader's Digest acumen of word power was this word assiduity, right? Anybody know the word assiduity? 
You're going to remember it because it has that short part at the front that sounds like I'm using bad language, right? But assiduity means that you are consumed with paying attention to detail in a process. Maybe that's where we got the word type A or the, the, the characterization type A. Bottom line, this is a type A situation. The church needed to administrate. The church needed to organize. Let me share with you how important this is. Not everybody's gifted in administration. I am not gifted in administration. I can do it. I often describe it as a necessary evil. But there are people that God has created that he has wired them for this. This past week, my wife and I were getting away. We had this scheduled for a few months. And then um, our precious Lynn Redlick, um, she had to be out of the office. So now the two key people that are in the office handling all the administration are not able to be there. And so our wonderful administrator, Christy Wagner, stepped in. Right? If we didn't have this team... And if we didn't think of this before, right, where, where we come to Lynn a few years ago and we say, hey, you need to train up another person that when you're not able to be at the helm, this person can come in and, and, and can handle these things. And, and it worked beautifully this week. What are we doing in our own ministries or in our own lives to help? What is the structure of the church? And, and we'll get into that in a minute. But think about the structure of your own personal life. We had a family meeting yesterday. Don't you love family meetings? And so my kids are and, you know, they're looking at each other like, okay, what is this about? What's happening? Who's in trouble here? Um, everybody just take a vow of silence. Don't say anything. Don't rat each other out. Even the dog was in on it with them, right? You know, we had a great family meeting because I'd had three or four things happen either that day or prior to that week where bad communication just caused a lot of challenges. And so I said, I'm going to head this off at the pass. Mr. I hate administration. I'm going to head this off at the pass. We are going into summer, and it's going to be nuts. And so we're going to get some structure here. And part of the blessing that, that I can do as a father is to release some things around the house and ask my, my kids to step into those roles that will be challenging for them, right? We're not talking about just, you know, feed the dog, you know, do some dishes, but, but some real things. So Jericho will be running the uh, books of the house in the month of July, and um, we'll see where that goes. But think about it in your own personal life. What is it that you are investing in your kids with? Or what is it that with your, with your wife or your husband, you're a partner, right? There's a team. What about work? Maybe you're oversighting some people. How are you investing in them so that they succeed? That is one of the greatest joys I have in life is helping put people into a position where they really succeed and they bless others. I love seeing that happen. And so this is what is happening, that there's a necessity to create administration in an organization. We have that here. We are, and I'll just give you a demonstration of it. We are congregational rule. That means those who are members here at the church vote on major, major decisions here because we see the equality, the plurality of the priesthood of saints. We are elder-led because we see in Scripture that that's what was established in the early church, that that's what God established, 
And that simply means that just like the apostles were there to lead in the preaching, the teaching, and the shepherding, John 21, right? Conversation with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do what, what does that mean? Just tell me. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. But I think there's maybe a little of an addendum there. And don't get sidetracked with things that you're not called to be part of. Ephesians 4.11 says that he has given some to be apostles, some to be teachers, some to be preachers, some to be evangelists. God has created within the construct of the church a dynamic and a mosaic of giftedness. And one of the best administrative ways that we can be a functional church that produces fruit, there it is, is to be on top of our game like this early church was. That when a challenge comes, leadership can look and can say, this is the setup, this is the chart, this is the org chart, if you will, that we're going to have in place to handle that. Now, there's some challenges with that, and, and we're going to look at that real, real quickly with this last point. Challenges prompt change. And so you see that what happened as a change is that they didn't hit a roadblock. They didn't become dysfunctional as a church. That the Hellenistic Jews didn't revolt and form their own leadership group, right? Half our nation wanting to secede, right? Blah, and on and on. Church splits, right? On and on and on. This church leadership group had, had it right. And they said, we have to be about what Christ asked us to do. We can't get off task with this. And so go and appoint. They didn't even appoint. They charged someone else with appointing seven men. They were specific with their instructions. Full of what? Full of grace. Spiritual leaders of good reputation. And so what happened as a result? Well, challenges prompt change. They were faced with a challenge, and they could have just bottomed out. They could have leveled out. But because of their wisdom and because of administration and because of the willingness to lead and to empower others to serve, the change comes in verse 7. The change comes in verse 7. And that's what we want to focus on at the end. I'm, I'm just prompting that. The kingdom grows because of the power and the message of the gospel. Do not get me wrong. It doesn't grow because necessarily how good we are at org charting. But if we do a good job with our org charting, we eliminate the challenges that then become deterrents for people getting distracted from the message of Christ. Amen? Satan knows to use our weaknesses to get in the way of people seeing the love of Christ. And this is where this story, these verses, this leadership group executed it perfectly. They handled the challenge. They invested in new leaders. They commissioned them. They laid hands on them. And they said what? The kingdom of God grows because of the power and the message of the gospel. That's happening. It's obvious. But then the kingdom grows because we multiply in our team and teamwork. If we do not attend to the details of life, sometimes we create more challenges that become a blockade. So let's come with our, our last point today. Distinction in serving distinction in serving so number one in distinction know your calling 
these leaders, these apostles, knew their calling, and so it drove what they did. Do you see that? That for you and I, we need to know our calling. And many pastors of small churches will tell you, look, I spend more time feeling like I'm running a small business because I'm wearing all these different hats that I'll get to the end of the week and I feel like I haven't been a pastor. You do me such a great service by helping pay for staff and supporting staff that make communications happen, that think through details of the accounting and all the books. And trust me, you don't want me touching your books. I failed accounting in college. I didn't even show up. Couldn't even get the time right. Because of what's happening right now over in children's ministry, because of our pursuit of a, 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 possibly either an associate pastor or student ministries pastor, whatever God has for us in that fit, because of supporting that and then coming together as this servant group, this team, in all that you do, whether it's the the welcome group, whether it's our deacons or deaconesses, whether it's our elders, whether it's our teachers, our prayer team, brothers and sisters, there's a distinction in serving in each one of those areas. Again, Ephesians 4.11, God has appointed, God has appointed apostles, teachers, preachers, evangelists, helpers. It goes on and on and on. You need to find your calling. And so you've seen this statement throughout all of the slides I've given you so far. I have not yet talked about it. I'll talk about it now. That when you're talking about knowing your calling, often I get that question. I'm not sure, Pastor, what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure what God has for me. What do I do? And so I borrow a little something. I wish I could tell you that this was my piece of brilliance. It's not. But uh, Blackaby's stuff with knowing God hasn't been read in so long that that it sounds like I'm the one coming up with it, but I'm, I'm coming clean with you right now. This really stems from Blackaby's approach to examining Moses' life with God and his calling. And you heard a life verse of mine, Psalms, and we'll finish with that in a minute, Psalms 78, 70 through 72, that calling, that effectual calling that God the Father had for David. What is his calling for you? What you need to make sure is that you're doing His will. Remember Jesus' words. When He said, take this cup from me, correct? In the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me. Now what is He doing? He's trying, He's, he's seemingly starting to go over the will of the Father. And He's trying to rewrite the will of the Father. But Jesus stops. He's okay with saying... And, and transposing to his father through prayer. This is hard. There is such a challenge here. Is there any way? Is there any other way? No, the will of the father is this. That you should do this. And Jesus never assumed that it was his position to rewrite the will of the father. He had his role. And he served his role beautifully. And he finished that prayer by saying, not my will, but your will. Today, brothers and sisters, we glorify positions all the time. We say, if you're really serving, if you're really accomplishing God's work, then you're this person at church. You look this way. 
the church starts to fall apart if it wasn't for seven men who serve tables. Do you understand that? Know your calling. And so this is what I often share to people. It's a spiritual calling. And so I break it down to three things. Invitation, confirmation, affirmation. So let's just go back to our org chart here. That, that we're congregational rule, we're elder-led and staff-run. That was the third one that I, I didn't pass on to you. So how do you become part of that congregational rule? You do it be, by becoming a member here. Brothers and sisters, we will not hesitate with the idea that we need to know that we are spiritually unified if we're going to make decisions that impact the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So in order to give that ability to help shape the future and the decisions of the church, only those who are members have the position to help shape that future when we vote. Now, you could have someone come along and say, hey, you have no idea how spiritual I am. You're judging me. I have to be a member to share my view here? That's not biblical. Uh -huh. It kind of is. It kind of has to do with the idea of being devoted to one another and sharing things and having all things in common, meaning your spiritual walk. And that's why we hold strongly to the idea of church membership because as a church member, you help shape the direction of this church. As a church member, you share in teaching, right? And as you share in teaching, we really want to make sure we're teaching the right stuff. That matters. Those things matter. So know your calling. And as you pursue that, maybe you get this invitation to take that next step because the Spirit's talking to you. So maybe you seek a little bit of wisdom. Maybe you start to experiment, experiment a little bit. My calling, I wasn't sure what God had for me, but I just sensed that, that I wanted to give back because my youth pastor was so important to me. And so I volunteered on a staff of a big church in Santa Clarita. Now, that doesn't mean I'm in charge of anything. In the and the youth pastor basically said, look, I'm going to put you with this other person, and, and, and you're just going to serve in this area, and as that person sees that you, know, you have some abilities, and as they help train you a little bit, we'll start giving you some responsibilities, and started investing, and started investing, and as I start diving into that area, I've had that invitation. Do you see how that worked? Now what happens is as the the Lord gives me more and more opportunity, there are things that start happening between myself and God that confirm by His hand, confirm by His hand, that He is using me in that capacity. There's your confirmation. Now the next part I kind of call gravy. And so when you're trying to know your calling in this distinction in serving, the idea is this, that people then recognize your ability and how God is working through you. And that's affirmation. But you don't want to revert, you don't want to go invitation, affirmation, confirmation. So as you pursue where it is that God has for you in your distinction, just like these seven men, they went, they were appointed, they had their hands laid on them, and they were given a responsibility, and they executed it well. And so the church was able to move beyond this challenge and controversy so that it could what? Thrive. And we'll finish with that in a minute. Know your reputation. This is so desperately important. Know your reputation. What is your quality? What is God building in you? 
there are certain functions within church ministry that there are requirements. And specifically, I'll just speak to two of them, then we can break that out in a deeper way on an individual level uh, through private conversation. But two specifics would be elders and deacons. And all you need to do is go to 1 Timothy 3 and see where Paul says these are the qualifications for elders and deacons. And when we move outside of that, there is a challenge where maybe you end up with a problem down the road. And the reason you end up with that problem is you never spoke to this issue of the qualifications. What is the reputation of the person that you are asking to be in a distinct calling? So part of our process, part of this process in the early church was, don't just go ask anybody to serve these tables. We need people that are spiritually mature to serve tables. We need people that are spiritually mature. And so we as a church, as, as we nominate through our nominating committee, which is comprised of members, in community and unity, as we nominate deacons and elders, we bring that to the table, we prayerfully go about it, but then we ask each new candidate for that to consider these passages of qualification. One of the things I, I encouraged our elders is that when we came into a position of, of bringing someone on as an elder, if we, we've instituted what we call elder light, and so we have a little bit of training here that started about two years ago, that around this time of year, if we see someone who has some capabilities and we give them the invitation, and then we bring them in and we give them some uh, experience and some familiarity with what we do as elders, and then we give them, we hand them a little bit of responsibility, not as a functional elder, but as, as the Padawan, if you will, right? And then we encourage them, and then we see where the Lord takes it. And if there's confirmation, then we go down that path and, and look for the affirmation with the vote. See how all this works? But you're not just throwing someone because you need someone with a pulse to handle leadership. You're going to crash and burn in those situations. You're going to crash and burn in those situations. So, it's important that you know your reputation when you take on different ministries. Not because you have to be perfect, but because you have to be an individual of quality because the challenges that are coming will challenge that character. Lastly, know your devotion. Take seriously your ministry. And verse 7 speaks to this. I've been telling you, I've been prompting you, I've been saying we need to get to this, and here we are. Here is the result of how the leadership of the church handled this challenge and came out thriving. The church hit a, a road bump. They not only got over it, but then they thrived. And they, they developed this office of deacon. And here was the result. Here was the fruit. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The very people that were trying to stop the growth of the church saw God's anointing on this group of people. That because they handled their business well, they administrated well, they did so with a, a skillful or integral heart, as God says about David, and skillful hands, it got people's attention. And what was the result? Not a leveling out. 
Not a decline, but it kept increasing and multiplying. Even so much that the most improbable person came into the kingdom of God. Amen? Details matter. Details matter. In closing this morning, this is a life verse for myself and my ministry. We've said it already today, but verse 72 really speaks to this. Actually, firstly, it says that he chose David. This is part of your process for seeking how God would ask you to serve. He chose David. He chose Hosea. He chose the servant of Elijah. God chooses. We talked recently about chapter 1 of Jeremiah where it says that I consecrated you before the creation of the world to do these things. God has that plan. Amen? Now the idea is, are we going to be passionately pursuing that? Looking for that invitation? And then how do we do that? We as a leadership group are committed to helping you walk that path and getting you tied in. So exactly what Fernando said up here, he didn't know what I was going to say, and it fits so perfectly, that you get a joy out of what you do. Can I just encourage you that I hope you get a joy out of the fact that some people brought cake this morning for you to eat. How many of you got joy from that already? And some of you will get more joy. There are those of us that are doing like this thing where we're supposed to eat healthy, so uh, we're looking for a veggie platter on Sunday mornings as well. Um, if possible. Uh, there are those that handled um, janitorial so this place was clean. There are those that are handling kids. There are those that already taught a Sunday school class. There are those that obviously stood up here this morning and got here way early that we might have good quality music that we can worship God with. There are those that have joined in together through worship in giving so that we can pay the electrical bills, so that we can um, have the carpets cleaned, so that we can um, support the pastor and support the staff, and so that we can do lifetime, and, and so that we can help individuals that are in need. And on and on it goes. Teamwork. This is what this passage is about. The church will only go as far as the team goes, and God has to be the coach of that team. Amen? Amen. So, the Lord showed me this passage years ago, and I pray that when I finish my time, that this will be said of me, that I will have shepherded you, that I will have shepherded whoever God gives me with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. That means I have to know what God has asked of me and not get too far outside. Every once in a while, yes, there are things that, but I have to do what God has called me to do, and you have to do what God has called you to do pursue that because there are no volunteers in the kingdom of heaven only servants to the king amen amen in closing just remember a good stake comes at the expense of a great team let me close in prayer this morning and as i do so if you have brought your gifts this morning thank you so much for worshiping in that way and helping support uh, the ministries of Concord Bible Church. I'm just so excited. I, I don't know that I've shared with you. We put out these pledge cards, and it's amazing. We'll see where God's going with all this. Um, I, I did need, do need to share with you that uh, Josh and Sawyer uh, didn't feel the call. They felt the invitation, but not the confirmation. And so we're back to the initial parts. So that means God's got someone very specific for us. And so we're continuing down that path. But 
we're not sure what that's going to look like as we were looking at someone like Josh. We had to come to you and we had to say, look, if we're going to do this, if we're going to move together as a team, then we have to come to you and we have to say, hey, we've got to be able to support that. Can I just encourage you that my number for increased giving that I said, okay, God's behind this, was $2,000. As of right now, the pledges are at $2,500 of increased giving to support where God is leading us as a church. Thank you so much. Because I also know that there is new participation there. There's this understanding of community and being unified in this. So thank you. Because it's to God's glory. It's to His work. So let me pray over that this morning and then I will dismiss you as we leave today. Please let us know how we can lift you up, how we can encourage you, uh, how we can come alongside you this week. Um, I'm back. I'm not going anywhere. Um, Call me, email me, text me in any way that I can encourage and come alongside you or the church can. Thank you for being here this morning. I pray that as much as this was type A material, if you're not type A, that it spoke to you. If you are type A, you're loving it. And you're like, I'm looking for a great organizational increase around this place. Preach it, brother. We're working towards it. We're working towards it. Let's ask the Lord to bless our week. God, we come before you with all confidence and with all trust. And what a beautiful thing to preach this passage. This is what you have given us to look at today, just the way that it fell in line. And yet we can look and see how that is happening here at Concord Bible Church. As we continue to grow, we pray that that verse 7 stands true for this place. That because of leadership, because of group uh, effort, because of the team, and because of you being the coach, the leader of this team, that we will greatly multiply the kingdom, and that even the priests will come into the kingdom. The most unsuspected person. Thank you, Father God. And we ask that you would bless uh, our offerings this morning, bless the giver today. Lead us throughout our week, that we would be the light of Christ to the community around us. To you be all glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.